Hey everyone, how's it going? It's Anthony Cazenza and this is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. We are so happy to have you with us once again. And I guess, officially, we are on to, <laughs> I guess, 2019. I mean, even though we've, it, it's now February 2019. Um, you know, the Super Bowl's behind us. It is now the 2019 NFL season and we have a lot to talk about, including... Uh, the hiring of Zach Taylor. And uh, with me, as always, is John Sheeran, who uh, gave me a great assist on the CincyJungle.com web- website because I was having some issues with that. But, uh, John, how are you? Um, new era of Bengals football has been ushered in. Yeah, you've always carried the backpack on here, and I've always been hiding in the backpack, so <laughs> might as well pull my weight to at some point. That's but right. um, it, It's been an interesting 24 hours i'm wearing my banana hat because the Bengals seem to slip on banana in this past afternoon in the hours after zach taylor press conference and we'll get into what i kind of mean by that but uh it's it's mixed emotions i guess because it's something brand new to us it's something completely new to me because again this is like the first it's the first time i've been a Bengals fan and marvelous hasn't been the coach and you know that's that's just a big deal in, in itself and Taylor has a lot to prove now that he's officially here and some of the early judgments are going to be made on, you know, the initial decisions he is, he will make as head coach and then involves building together the coaching staff and talk a little about a little bit about that. But it's, it's, it's a mixed um, feelings for me personally right now. And I guess that's good and bad, you know, in, in, in kind of both ways. A different era of Bengals football for sure. And, I mean, I guess we could just jump kind of right into it. Um, your thoughts on on Taylor when he was introduced as the Bengals head coach on Monday. Your thoughts on how he presented himself. Obviously a stark contrast in a lot of different ways to Marvin Lewis, especially Marvin Lewis in Lewis's later years. Um your your thoughts on how he presented himself, how he handled the media, aside from, uh, I think you and I both got a funny tweet from a a fellow listener that showed uh, the, the the airing of the TV airing of it cutting out uh, of of Taylor's press conference. But aside from that, um, your thoughts on him, how he presented himself, and you know kind of that that young fresh approach maybe that he brings to the Bengals. Yeah, so when we were talking, you know, last month about potential replacements for Lewis, Taylor's name was obviously one of the names. He was like the, he was the first guy that they interviewed, but most of the discussion was was surrounding like the enemy and maybe even more so Todd Monken and you know, in the the week leading up to Taylor getting hired, you know, he wasn't I guess a serious consideration, I guess, because people mainly like preferred the enemy, but when talking about Taylor, um, we discussed like it, the Bengals would not be interested in Taylor just because he's an associate of, of Zach Taylor or, or of Sean McVay, excuse me. The Bengals would be interested in, in Taylor because they think that he brings a similar mentality and a similar fresh mindset and values and, and cultural changes that a McVay type coach would bring because McVay is special because you know, there's no one really like him in the way that his mind is built around the game and his memory and everything about that is so special. So if Taylor was to be hired by the Bengals and if he was to be so 
heavily coveted by them. He would have he would have had to have wowed them in a similar way that McVay obviously wowed the Rams. And I think we kind of saw some of that on display in the introductory press conference. And obviously that press conference in itself was a breath of fresh air, not just because of anything specific that he said, but just in the way of how it was so different than all those other Marvin Lewis press conferences. But I do believe that, you know, Marvin's first press conferences in general were kind of like that, where he kind of brought this reinvigorated energy to an organization that was so stale at the time. But now this organization is stale from from all the years of him. So Taylor kind of brings that recent change. And that's exactly kind of what we were hoping to see him, you know, just hearing him speak for that half hour was definitely, you know, worth that wait and kind of confirms what we kind of thought about him. And just just in general, he just seems like like the kind of guy that we had hoped, you know, a 35 year old head coach first time head coach would would sound like you know he, he sounds like he can carry himself very well even though he's never exactly been in this position before but obviously he's he's well he's well wired you know grew up in a football family obviously had those similar ideals to the brown family and obviously duke tobin as well and it appears that both of them have kind of connected and you know obviously Bengals fans adore duke tobin for the work that he's done under the, under the restrictions of the brown organization so if they can kind of get on the same page and establishing you know, a, a process of building an, a legitimate championship level team, then this is obviously a great direction to go in. And, and most of the, and the majority of things that Taylor said for the most part was just coach speak and not really should be, you know, taken with a grain of salt and whatnot, but some of the little things you, t- you talked about, you know, uh, communication and an attacking mentality and kind of those different things that would allude to potential alterations in how the Bengals will approach the offseason and maybe in season management. And I think that's definitely refreshing to hear and definitely something that was well worth us waiting to hear. So with the Taylor hire came a lot of social media reactions from Bengals players, high profile Bengals reactions. Do you buy that they are the excitement that they are showing, you know, they, they, they kind of, superimposed pictures of themselves next to Taylor. You know what I mean? Like they, they did like the, what, what basically they took the Bengals, uh, that kind of what they did on their official announcement, superimposed pictures of themselves and said like, Hey, welcome coach, all that kind of stuff. I think you saw from Dunlap. I think you saw from Kirk, from Drake Kirkpatrick. I mean, you, you saw social media clips of uh, Taylor greeting Andy Dalton in the locker room and that they seem to be very chummy. Um, do you buy do you buy that or do you is that simple towing the company line? You know what I mean? Where where these are people, these are guys that are paid well by the organization and they said, you know, I I kind of gotta do the right thing, if you will, and uh support the new coach. Some of these guys, there's questions if Drake Kirkpatrick's gonna be on the roster next year. There are questions if Andy Dalton's going to be on on the roster next year. I mean, do you do you buy that? Do you buy the excitement? Or is that simple just kind of, hey, I'm being a good employee and doing what I'm supposed to do? I think Dre earned himself a lifetime contract with what he did with Jeremy Hill the other day. But that's a whole other <laughs> thing. Talk, we're going to talk yeah, about that yeah, later. We'll, we'll definitely talk about that. But I think it's a little bit of both, to be honest, because, like, as we all know, players love Marvin. He was a player's coach through and through. And obviously right. they, like, like, like Dunlap, I think, had a tweet. You know, he kind of – held back some reservations, I guess, for, for, you know, like, you know, we, we want to see what kind of defensive philosophy he brings in. Didn't exactly display a great amount of excitement when he texted. I think it was a WLWT reporter as an anonymous guy, but yeah, for, for, for the other guys, I think, you know, even for like the majority of this team, the core of this team has been around for six or seven years. And even 
even then, six, seven years is kind of a long time for a head coach in the NFL because 16 years is such an anomaly and, and an outlier in itself. So six, seven years, it's kind of more even, even so on, on the long side. So Marvin Lewis was around for a long time for even the guys who haven't even hit 30 yet. So um, for, for those guys who are welcoming Taylor with, with open arms, I think it's a refreshing change even for them, even if they weren't here for the majority of, of Lewis's tenure. And for the, for the most part, the guys who were with, Lewis in the 2000s, they're all gone, except for maybe a couple of guys that maybe won't be on the team next year with their ex- expiring contracts. But I do think that there is definite, you know, r- relief that some change is happening. And it's a guy that maybe most of them can relate a little bit more, obviously, because of not, not just the age difference, but a different type of coaching background and philosophy, because Taylor's obviously an offensive guy with an offensive background, and he's probably a lot more aggressive and a lot less conservative as a coach coming in immediately than Lewis has turned himself to be 16 years on the job. So I think with those changes has sparked this, this welcoming atmosphere from the players with Taylor, because I think for the most part, you know, I don't think this, this whole rebuild is going to take one year. I think a lot of familiar faces will, will stick around for 2019 to see kind of what they have. And, you know, this, this team and where they are in their position, it probably will take, you know, two or three years for them to truly be competitive again, because remember they won 19 games in the past three years. So not, they're not contenders right now. You can make an argument that they're the worst team in their own division. So, so with that said, I think like, like for now, everyone's kind of on the same base, the same playing field and level of, of job security. And they kind of, you know, are, are welcoming this new change and want to do their best to get, you know, to impress him, to display that they have value for, the next, not just one or two years, but three or four years, even even for those guys who have, have yet to hit their 30s and whatnot. So I think that there is a little bit of, you know, got to welcome the new guy, even though I like my old coach, but definitely a, a refreshing, a welcome change for most of those guys who are should be excited about a coach that they can probably perform a little bit better under and will be utilized better under them. Yeah, A.J. Green mentioned that he had his best years under Jay Gruden, uh, in that play action style offense, he mentioned that recently. And uh, obviously that's something Zach Taylor is going to, you would think bring to the Bengals. And look, I mean, I, I, there are, there are a number of people that are loyal to Marvin Lewis, whether it's because he brought him in, brought them into the Bengals organization, drafted them, whatever. But um, I think there are a number of, of players that are, you know, more than ready for a change and uh, more, more than red. I mean, Zach Taylor for the most part is uh, he's barely older for better or for worse, barely older than many players on this roster. I, I, I mean, I think he's older than all of them, <laughs> but uh, there, I mean, you know, you got your Andy Dalton's, your Geno Atkins, your, your Carlos Dunlaps that are, you know, early thirties or whatever. And they're, they're right around, his age gap. Uh, he's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Kizenza. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and we are talking about the Zach Taylor hire as the Bengals' new head coach. You can get this program on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, on Megaphone, and on CincyJungle.com, as well as our, our YouTube channel, so check that out. John, one of the questions, I guess, in... The, the Taylor hire is, you know, who made the decision, who, you know, who, who was kind of the, the, the people who pulled the strings, if you will, in, in order to get him hired. Mike Brown in his introductory press conference of Taylor kind of mentioned basically that Duke Tobin is the guy who 
you know, brought, who kind of headed up the coaching search. He brought up a lot of candidates. He headed up the interviews, all that kind of stuff. And he was the guy that brought in Zach Taylor, if you will. Yeah. He hasn't been named GM an official title, but I mean, for all intents and purposes, that's his job. There's a lot riding on this hire, right? I mean, this is the first new coaching hire in the Duke Tobin era. This is the first new coaching hire in, um, you know, basically in 16, 17 years since Marvin Lewis has come in. Um, and it's young, it's risky. He's overhauling the staff, all that stuff. I mean, it, is it fair to say that Duke Tobin, it, basically his job is riding on this hire? Yeah, and he's been here for so long because obviously they wanted to keep the Lewis group kind of intact and he came along with Lewis. But that's that's an interesting point because, you know, you talk about just job security in general with the Bengals and with, with, with those guys in the front office, you never really question that. But if if this was entirely a or majority part a Duke Tobin move and and Duke Tobin was the reason why Taylor was so well-liked within the Bengals brass and why they impressed it so much, if, if those comments were – we're basically alluding to in all, in all terms of purposes, meaning that Duke Tobin was impressed by this higher than, yeah, I, I do think that for, as of right now that, that they're connected and, the, and that's the reason why he was um, behind those microphones for the introductory press conference alongside with Taylor and, and, and Mike Brown in, in general. Um, but this is still Mike Brown and it's just kind of ridiculous. Like, like Paul Daniel Jr. is on Twitter, like, you know, Duke Tobin is the GM in, in, in everything but name. Why doesn't he have the name though? Because right. Right. Mike, Mike Brown is still who he is, and he's just never going to change. And if there's any if there's any time where he's going to publicly give away power in a move such as that, just naming Duke Tobin Jim, he's just not going to do it. And no matter what, he's probably going to go to the great go to the grave with those values set in stone. But, but essentially, Duke Tobin is does have more power. We've kind of known this for the past couple of years when he's had more influence in the war room and influence in bringing in guys and, re- and retaining guys and in the offseason in general but but now this is this this was his first opportunity to kind of really reset the franchise bring in a new voice and leadership and if they were trusting Tobin to kind of find that then that kind of also you know concludes the other point that you know the the, the Blackburns are also kind of overtaking Brown from a power standpoint and obviously both Troy and Katie had obvious influence on this hire as well but they also I think have a, a certain brain trust and um, cohesion w- w- with Tobin and, and, and their similar values and philosophies. So it, it, it's kind of that four-person brain trust of the, the Bengals front office with Mike kind of still overseeing things, still not wanting to publicly give up power and not, you know, give away any leverage that he has at 80-something years old. But at the same time, this is kind of Duke Tobin's era at, at this point. And wherever Zach Taylor goes, Duke Tobin goes, we don't know how big of a leash Taylor does have. You know, he did sign a multi-year contract, but this isn't Lewis now. So this is a whole new game and this is a, a whole new ballpark of boss of possibilities, whether or not Taylor succeeds or fails. And you know, what, what's kind of the repercussions of maybe something bad instead of something good. And that's going to be something interesting to watch. Does it frustrate you that, <laughs> I mean, like I said, for all intents and purposes, Duke Tobin is a GM. Mike Brown continues to hold these annual press conferences and to, to both Mike Brown's credit and detriment, he's not a Jerry Jones type of owner where he hogs the microphone. He's, he hogs the, the, you know, the, the limelight, but in that way he does, he also doesn't, he is not able to clarify 
a lot of things. He has hinted over the past couple of years that, hey, you know, basically it was Marvin, his daughter, his son-in-law, and Duke Tobin that have kind of run the show in terms of decision-making. He kind of said as much again with the Zach Taylor hiring that it was Duke Tobin's call. They supposedly interviewed nine people, according to Mike Brown. Um, I mean, does this frustrate you where he's like, dude, Duke Tobin's a GM. He's, he's not saying that. I mean, I mean right? I mean, we can sit here and say for all intents and purposes, but still, just he's, not, he's not saying it. He's not giving him the title. Does that frustrate? I mean, to me, I'm sitting here going, dude, just just tell us, right? I mean, just, <laughs> just say he's the GM. Like, I know some people equate, like, senior citizens to babies in terms of stubbornness, where, like, it's just kind of pulling <laughs> teeth. And I, I think that's basically what we're doing because he, he's so ingrained in his ways that he's just not—he's not, not going to change. And this is this is just who he is. And and whenever you want progress from someone who just will not change at a certain point in his life, it's just it's just pulling teeth from it. And and eventually, um, when push comes to shove and butts are in seats, and he's going to make the necessary changes to, to obviously appease the masses in this case. But <clears throat> I think we're going to have to wait a little bit longer for. Tobin is officially given that title, but it, 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 it doesn't it doesn't really matter, but it still kind of matters. And I guess that's kind of the point that you're, the point that you're making where, you know, if he's a GM, just, just call him the GM. But it, yeah. it, just, it just won't happen with, with a guy like Mike. Yeah, it's he's he's set in his ways. And, you know, who knows? Maybe it is. A, he's 83. Uh, maybe it is an appeasement type of maneuver by some of these other people in the front office that said, look, he's still here. He's still kind of the owner to. We're calling the shots. It doesn't matter what the titles are or what or whatever. Um, but this is our guy. Regardless, it does sound like this is a Duke Tobin hire and not a Mike Brown hire. Um, so y- you kind of have to sit here and say, well, you know, they're obviously every every one of us who have been fans for a long time look back to David Shula and say, oh, you know, young guy and that's where this hire is heading. But this doesn't seem to be the guy that Mike Brown pulled the trigger on. This seems to be the guy that Duke Tobin signed off on and the other powers that B signed off on regardless of title. Yeah. And going back to pulling teeth, like, yeah, like Mike allowed Duke Tobin to hire a head coach. Is he going to allow Duke Tobin to spend money in March? Yeah. Like, 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 like that, that, that's the next question, right? That's the next step of if Tobin is truly in charge or, or unless he's just like, he's like the king, but the hand of the king is still kind of pulling the strings like Joffrey and, and Ty, Tywin Lannister. I don't, we don't know that yet. And we won't know that. In- that's a Game of Thrones reference, everybody, in case you didn't know. Okay. I mean, I mean, who doesn't watch Thrones? But anyway, but but anyways, yeah. Like like, who's who's truly pulling the strings? Because those, those of us who cannot afford HBO or something, I guess, are the people who I don't pay do. for HBO. Either. <laughs> I'm pretty sure not a lot of people do either. But anyways, that that like, like, t- people say teams don't super, teams don't win or lose in March, but that's just not the case. Like, maybe that's what the Bengals tell people. But you you win in this league not by spending money. Now they spend money on presumably a hot shot young head coach. Let's go out and get and get some quality free agents and more than just one on a one year, you know, rental deal like they have for the past five years. Let's actually do something that matters in, in March when you're building a, a championship quality team, which is presumably what Zach Taylor wants to do. We'll, we'll see if that happens. Dion DTS in the live YouTube chat says, "If this in all caps, by the way, if you if you say something in all caps, 
you know, you know, that person's meaning business. Uh, if this turns back to the Shuli years, I'm moving. Um, so there you go. Why did, and, why, why did you sell your house? Uh, well, that's that's not my decision. That's Dion, Dion's decision. But you know, th there was something that I thought Bengals fans should. I don't know if you want to say, you know, gravitate towards the Bengals or endear themselves to Mike Brown or whatever, but he basically said, and I don't know if this is a slippery slope or not, but he basically said they felt the effects of fan ticket sales, probably letters they received, whoever or whatever, that this decision to move to Zach Taylor was basically based off of that. They, they heard, they, they felt the reverberations of fan reactions, especially late last year and the possibility of Marvin Lewis retiring. And they said, we have to make a move. What do you make of that, John? Well, I think it'll kind of lead into another topic that we're talking about, but at the end of the day, Mike Brown does care about making money. Yeah. And however much you know of that revenue comes from the twenty thousand tickets that weren't selling towards the end of the year, uh, I don't know. But obviously, I think at this point in in his, in his life and in his time as the owner, he's seen a decision that he made a long time ago, and and decisions that he didn't make it over the past you know seven eight years when it was when it was ripe to move on from Marvin Lewis. That you know my, my my uh, unwillingness to do something that I probably should have done in the past is kind of finally catching up to me. And if, and if I want to, you know, do the thing that I'm, I'm telling people that I want to do and that's build a Super Bowl team. I can't have, you know, I can't have this leadership continue here or otherwise I'm not going to sell any tickets because I, I think if Marvin Lewis came back, they wouldn't, they would not have sold, you know, more than 30,000 seats a game. Like that, yeah. that's, that's yeah, going to be like the 49ers. Like it would just be half filled at most. For sure. And, and if yeah. and if the blackout rules, you know, didn't exist now, that it, it, it just wouldn't be televised on TV, and that wouldn't be good for anything. And at the, and even if for someone who has been notoriously stubborn as my ground, that definitely I think sent a message, and everybody kind of has a breaking point. And pe people may have may not have thought that Mike Brown could bend, but at this at even ninety three years old, he he's shown that he can bend. And and and, and to, to the day to the to the Dave Shula point, I think that if Zach Taylor does turn out to be Dave Shula, he's not going to be here for 16 years. If you miss, you can swing right. again. And that goes for quarterbacks as well. When you're trying to, when you're trying to establish the, the two most important things for a football team, that's head coach and quarterback. And if they don't work, you don't have to be stuck there for, for too long where it, where it would be too late for the rest of your team. You can, you can go ahead and try again. And that's, that, that's, that's something that a lot of fans need to understand where if, if you, do hire Dave Shula, you won't be automatically put into 12 years of misery again. And if you, and if Zach Taylor does be mediocre, you won't automatically have 16 years of him again. Th those are, mis those are mistakes that are made in the past. And I think even for a team like the Bengals, they have a certain level of evolution and learning from their past mistakes. And even if it's as slow as they are, those mistakes are learned from even for organizations that aren't as competent as others. You have to give Mike Brown a little bit of credit because he was asked a question about Marvin Lewis during the introductory press conference of Zach Taylor. He, you know, I mean, not that most people would do this, but he had an opportunity to kind of take a shot 
and Marvin Lewis, or say this is why Zach Taylor's the guy and Marvin Lewis is not. He he basically took the higher road and said, "This is, I'm not going to take this opportunity to slight Marvin Lewis. I'm not I'm not going to do it." Mar, you know, and and that shows Mar, uh, Mike Brown's loyalty, and it's loyalty to a fault, right? I mean, we, we we've said that too. Uh, he has a hard time getting rid of certain players. He endears himself to certain players, certain coaches, whoever. And for better or for worse, he's like, this is my guy. And, you know, I think that was probably a little bit of the scenario to Mar with Marvin Lewis. And finally, it was like, it's time. Whether it was the pocketbook effect or what have you, he kind of said, I, I just can't do this anymore. It can't that happen. And I think that's the same exact thing with like the players when they were, you know, excited, whether they were excited about Taylor or they were more yeah. reserved. Like, they, like none of those players would, would speak ill of Marvin, but most of them realized that the change needed to happen for, for the betterment of their careers and for the betterment of the organization. Like, there, no one should really have any ill thoughts of Marvin Lewis when you look at it from an overall standpoint. Obviously, it could have ended better and you, you could have had more opportunities for you know, legit championship runs in there. But at the end of the day, he was still a, a decent coach and just a decent human being and someone that was, that had value in the organization and obviously was a close friend to anyone associated with him in the 16 years. So it, it was definitely a good move by, by Mike to, you know, stand behind him and, and, and not take the opportunity to, 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 by his words, disparage him. But also I don't think that's, there was a, a reality where, where Mike Brown would ever do that because if you show loyalty to someone that long, you know, Things just don't change in an instant where your whole um, perception and opinion on someone just just completely alters just because, you know, drastic changes happen. So it, it was good by Mike, but I didn't really expect him to do anything different, I guess. Yeah, and this is – I mean, it, it is what it is, and um, this is something now where they've they've hitched their wagon to Taylor, and that's, that's where they're heading. I mean, it's – you mentioned, you mentioned something about you know oh, we'll see if this, you know, changes free agency or or the approaches there. Uh, it's going to be very interesting to see what what kind of sway, if any, and and if that's that is his sway that he want that the hill he wants to die on, so to speak, in terms of Taylor, um, you know, free agency, all that stuff. It's going to be interesting to see if he's the guy that kind of has more sway and that sort of thing and you know for those who are saying yay about taylor young offensive minded and i think that's the majority of Bengals fans and you should be feeling that way you have to also recognize that you know even if he does make certain changes it's based off of the foundation that marvin lewis built he had his flaws he had his this and that but Marvin Lewis set a standard. Mike Brown budged in ways that he had not budged in for a long time. And you have to hope that Zach Taylor then says, okay, Marvin Lewis laid this groundwork. I'm now, now we have to move here, 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 here. These are the positions we have to look at. You know, maybe it's a different quarterback because Dalton and Lewis were attached to the hip, whatever. But you have to sit here and say, okay, you know, Taylor maybe can build off of what Lewis did. Yeah. And if, if you allow me to make a radical analogy here, uh -oh. um, as an econ major, I, I happened to learn about the six stages of communism. 
and how China really screwed themselves in the 20th century when um, I believe it was in the mid the mid 20th century when they tried to skip capitalism on the way to communism and they ended up suffering and ended up going 20 years behind the rest of the world in terms of, of overall economic development. And what happened in the 1980s is that, hey, um, on, the way, on the way going to communism, we kind of skipped capitalism and that's just, a, that's just no bueno. And it went against everything. Oh, oh by the way, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, this is, it's, not, it's not, not great. So what, what happened was that um, China's like, hey, we're gonna backtrack a little bit because we skipped an important step on the way to going to where we need to go. Ended up, you know, creating this economic surge and boom in the 1980s, and now China is where they are because because of that. For for the Bengals in this case, they ended up in the dirt in the 90s. Marvin Lewis brought them to stage two in this case, and that's mediocrity. This is the opportunity for them to go to stage stage three, which is legit contending. And if Taylor ends up being that guy, then the process over 20 something years finally worked, and they can pat their hats on that. And if it doesn't work again, swing again, go find the next guy. Don't wait 16 years before doing that. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran, and uh, in case you didn't know, he is much smarter than I am because he is an econ major, and I was a lowly history poli sci major myself. So That's he is a lot a- more fun than, than econ. <laughs> uh, maybe sort of, kind of. Uh, at, at any rate, he is a much smarter man than I am on many levels. John Sheeran, I'm Anthony Kazenzi. You can get this show on iTunes, Stitcher, on uh, Google Play. And megaphone, YouTube, cincyjungle.com. Get the show how you can. Um, I mentioned last week just kind of a little sidebar, and I, I just want to, I'm still stoked on it. We are seeing record number, a record number of downloads and everything on this program, and uh, I am super excited about it. And again, it's, it's probably due to the addition of my far superior intellect co host, John Sheeran and his uh, great following that he has on social media. But um, I say that tongue-in-cheek, but literally, uh, John, you've been an awesome addition to this show, and I can't thank you enough. I can't thank our our listeners enough based on some of the, uh, you know, some of the, I, uh, the numbers don't lie, right? I mean, it's just... You guys have been killing it. Yeah, and it's, it's crazy. And uh, I also want to take this... Part, part of the reason why some of the, the numbers have been great have been because we have also had uh, Tyler Boyd on the show twice in the last month. Uh, we just had him on again last week. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it, there, there's a propensity of sometimes interviewing the same guy in a month, especially in the offseason, you know, kind of saying, oh, what do you, you know. He's an interesting how- interview. We should interview him every month. We just yeah. make it a regular thing. I, yeah, you know, I tried to make it a little different. I, I did a little lightning round with him and all that kind of stuff. And uh, uh, if you have not heard Tyler speak, if you have not heard the interviews, whether it's with us or other outlets that he has reached out to, he's a very, very nice young man. He is a very um, humble young guy. And I got to tell you, just in the in the little interaction I've had with him, he is a guy that is very, very excited about the Zach Taylor hiring. He seems to really like being a Cincinnati Bengal, even though he's a Pittsburgh native. We'll keep that under wraps. But he seems he seems to be a guy that really likes being a Cincinnati Bengal. He likes what has happened. He he relishes his 
breakout year last year. So um, we've been fortunate to talk to him and uh, recently a couple of times. Hopefully you have seen that interview or those interviews and have enjoyed them as well. But um, our thanks just aside from all of the listeners who have been downloading the program, our thanks also to Tyler Boyd. Uh, John, unfortunately you were not there when we were able to interview him, but I'm sure you've heard them and he is, he's a stand-up guy. He truly is. So Anthony. Yes. The Bengals have hired some coaches. I, uh, do we, I, I was going to go there and I, uh, let's go there. Okay. So I, I know you've got a lot to say about this, so I want to, I want to put the ball on your court there. But uh, yeah, yeah, T- tell me about some coaches that you have seen and your thoughts, I guess, on some of these guys. So let's go ahead and read um, <clears throat> what Zach Taylor said in his press conference about finding coaches, and, and I quote: "What we're looking for are great teachers, concise communicators." outside-the-box thinkers, and people who are not afraid to deviate from the norm. We're in the process of organizing a great coaching staff that you guys will be very proud of, and the players are going to be excited to play for. So, I think it's pretty obvious at this point that Taylor wants to surround himself with associates, former associates of him in his 10-year, very young coaching career. One of those well-known associates is Jim Turner who for the past three years has been the offensive line coach for Texas A&M. Before that, he was also with Texas A&M in 2008 to 2011, the first four years of Zach Taylor's coaching career when he was a grad assistant. And when Taylor moved to the Miami Dolphins in 2012, Turner followed him as the offensive line coach. Just so happens that when Turner was there, so was two guys named Richie Incognito, Jonathan Martin think we all know what happened with, with those two and the, yeah, there's a bullying scandal that incognito started and just pulverized verbally Martin for, I don't know how long. And Turner ended up getting fired for it because he was complicit in the process and also partook in said bullying of Jonathan Martin, who just this past year was shown on Instagram with a threatening caption and a picture of guns towards his former teammates because for some reason, bullying does have a mental impact on those victims and can de- deteriorate their minds and their overall, so so psyches. So Turner ended up suing the investigative report that got him fired because he couldn't work for some reason after his reputation was stained because he was a known complicit bullying as a coach. But then he got a job back at Texas A&M in 2016. And then in his first couple of months, he had a coaching clinic for women's there and in that coaching clinic he made some very inappropriate and sexist remarks and comments about offensive line play if you can somehow somehow even comprehend how that would be involved there but regardless Turner ended up working there for the next last three years and now he is the replacement to Frank Pollock that quote that Taylor said applies to nothing that Jim Turner is and I know that he and Taylor have worked for many years and I'm sure Taylor knows him very well but how the hell does Zach Taylor sell a Jim Turner hire after saying what he said in the press conference? That, I, I waver on this because I'm sure there's another coach that you're going to talk about uh, that has some issues. I, I, you know, I waver on it in the fact that 
and off unless you're Paul Alexander, who was also an assistant head coach slash offensive line coach, the overall responsibilities and the overall level of I don't know what you want to, want to call it. The, the overall level of accountability or name of title or whatever. Offensive line coach to me doesn't scream. They're, they're, you know, doesn't scream high profile coach. Doesn't scream that this is the guy that's going to be the face of the franchise. Doesn't scream any of that stuff. We've also seen the Bengals have some redemption stories in terms of Tank Johnson, in terms of Adam Jones, in terms of some other guys that have come in here with all kinds of terrible pasts and have come in here and made made themselves viable, made themselves relatively good contributors to the team and, and have helped the team turn into winners. I do not condone anything that is in Turner's past, I also have not been in any of the rooms or anything uh, in terms of people associated with him and or what his reasoning behind some of this behavior is, so I can't fully speak to it. Um, if I'm going to try and at least somewhat back him, which is hard to do. But I, I also, you know, some of the stuff I have seen under his watch and everything, I can't condone. I can't. You know, I, I sit here and I go, why, why, why? You know, the quote-unquote good old boy mentality or the football guy mentality, or anything, it doesn't, it just it doesn't work today. It just doesn't. Um, that with that, he may fall back on. I don't know. Um, I think, on one hand, this is a little bit overblown in terms of fan. You know, he fan behavior a little bit or fan reaction, but at the same time, it's also, I, I get it. You know I mean? This is supposed to be a new era. This is supposed to be a new regime and all of that. And Taylor literally says like you, like you just said, John, he literally says, you know, we're looking for this type of personality, straight laced people, X, Y, and Z. And a day, less than a day after it's, it's not it, the people they're targeting for critical positions are not of that ilk. And uh, that's a little disappointing. So it's kind of like, you know, it, it, are these things that are going to going to go the way of a Tate Johnson or Adam Jones, or is it going to be what bit them in the butt for so long in the mid two thousands, late two thousands in terms of character issues same old bangles, quote unquote, and, and everything else. And are these the type of people that are going to define the Zach Taylor regime in a negative way? And I hope not. Yeah. And to like to play devil's advocate, to play devil's advocate, I guess, with the tank Johnson and Jones points, like with, with Marvin Lewis and what made him, you know, such a unique coach was that he presented himself as a father figure for, for some players who ended up getting in trouble. Zach Taylor's 35. And I, I think yep. that Turner's That's like, an yeah, I think Turner's like in his late forties, or maybe maybe in his fifties now. Like, obviously, Taylor's not going to look over Turner as in this in the same manner. And you know, a point that we talked about with Taylor potentially building his staff was bringing in veterans that he could 
therefore lean on to handle some leadership responsibilities in different position groups and just general aspects of running the team. And, you know, we talked a lot about that with a potential defensive coordinator hiring. And when we talked about Bill Callahan, that was another thing that we, that we discussed because Callahan has history with, 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 with Taylor as his head coach in college. And he can kind of lean on him in, in terms of game, game planning, the run game, and just overall designing the structure of the offense. And now we have to kind of assume that that's going to be what Turner is responsible for as well. Not only just, you know, refining technique for his offensive line, but, but implementing Taylor's scheme and, you know, having a significant responsibility with there at the end of the day, the Bengals record will not be dependent upon Turner's coaching ability. And by the way, he's not even that his resume doesn't really bode well for him as an offensive line coach at the professional or college level. But re- regardless, you know, my main reservation for this is just, he's just not like, I can safely say that he's just not the kind of guy that you want to bring in at all. For, for any type of head coaching, you know, for any type of uh, of, of team and structure with, with whoever's the head coach and whoever is leadership of that team. And in this case, it's a young first-time head coach, and you're bringing in a guy with ample experience as an offensive line coach who has experience working with him, but also he's not going to be – Taylor's not this commanding figure yet where he can – you know, assert leverage and power over his assistants. He's going to, at this, and the very early stages of his career, he's going to be relying upon them to handle a lot of some of the in-game and, and, and scheme implementation responsibilities. And Turner's going to have a heavy hand in that. And we have, you know, a guy with his history and the way that in his conduct and how he treats and handles, you know, player interaction and just overall player development. It's a major pause for concern for me. And he's going to have to, work extremely hard to make sure that anything that he's done in the past will not be indicative of what's going to happen in the future. Yeah. I mean, for me, it's kind of like, do you reside in the camp of, I question, I now question Zach Taylor's decision-making capability by bringing in people like this. Right. I mean, it's, it's, it Turner's a questionable character. Um, he, I don't know him personally. You probably don't know him personally. He might be a, a swell guy at home. I don't know, right? But there are things that point to him not being a great human being. Um, and that, it, it's, it's a balancing act that Zach, Ta- Zach Taylor now has to do. It's, I'm a first-time head coach. I'm going to bring in people that I think are capable head coaches as well as people I trust and these are people that he has connections to. Aubrey Pleasant is another guy as well right. that he has, he's connected to. So he is familiar with them. There's the nepotism, I guess, aspect of it, if you will. But you have to sit here and go, okay, well, do you sit here and say, okay, he knows Jim Turner well, and he knows him well enough to be a guy that says, you know what, that's what he's, what he's been – raked over the coals for rightfully so is not really who he is and he's a good football coach a good person i'm gonna hire him regardless of fan backlash or is it pr be damned and you know i'm gonna get the best coach i mean it's kind of like well what what do you what side of the scale do you balance more uh, the relationship aspect or, you know, kind of PR stuff. And uh, Jim Turner brings a lot of PR nightmare, especially in kind of the current landscape of things. He brings a lot of thing. He brings a lot of baggage to a team that really doesn't need it. 
Yeah, for, for the YouTube viewers, I'm sorry. I kind of look like one of those wood, guys in the witness protection because I think a fuse just blew in my house and my lights went out. But yeah, to your point, um, yeah. I was going to say, it, it, I yeah. thought I saw like a, like a shot or something. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, but to, to to answer your question, I I understand the logic with, with Turner's hiring because you know Taylor wants to have the guys that he trusts the most, and yeah, like it's safe to say that you know he's worked with Turner for a hand, or a, a decent amount of time, and he actually almost Turner almost followed Taylor to the University of Cincinnati in 2016, but I think uh, he backed out of the job to return to Texas A&M. So I, I get the logic you be, be, because if you're going to be relying on these guys so, so much, you want to have guys that you trust and that you've worked with before and that you think you can manage in a certain way because you have that experience with them. It doesn't mean I have to appreciate or accept the logic. I, I just understand it because like j- j- just mean, just me in general, I don't want people like this a part of associated with the team that I associate myself with. Because it's, it's because it's just it, because he is who he is, and I and there's a certain point where like you know there is a redemption possibility, but we're talking about a guy who's basically he is who he is at this point, and it's not just an isolated incident; it's multiple incidents that present mm-hmm. itself to be a, a trend. And if we're to, if we want to talk about a potential redemption story, we should have probably talked about that before he sued the report that got him fired and basically proclaimed his innocence and didn't display any type of remorse or or any type of understanding of of the, the gravity of his actions. So at this point, I think we can just accept he is who he is and just have to hope for the best that none of those problems follow to the Cincinnati Bengals in any major way where it would be a detriment and would cause any similar instance in the future. Yeah, and and like from a fan standpoint, like Bengals ownership and uh, everything else. Are, are you okay over there, buddy? I, I'm a little worried about you. I'm looking for my other leg. I'm I mean, like Bengals ownership, fan, fans are going to have to sit here and say, you know what? The team trusted enough to, to hire Zach Taylor. He obviously presented some form of a plan, whether it's assistant coaches, roster, or both. He came up with some sort of plan that said, this is what I have for you guys. And everybody signed off on it. Maybe Jim Turner was a name that was thrown around. Maybe he wasn't. But you kind of have to think, like, if if a guy like Jim Turner in his history is going to be brought into the Bengals, you you have to think that Zach Taylor said, this is a guy I'm thinking of bringing in. It had to be known. I mean, yeah. I, I I don't think this is a surprise to anybody in Bengals management. Now, whether you like it as a fan or what, whatever, I mean, that's that's a different story. But you have to figure the Bengals knew about it, and this is part of Taylor's plan. This is probably a plan that he gave to the Bengals management when he was interviewing for the job, and uh, they probably have some sort of plan for potential fallout with something like this. I don't know, but uh, it is disappointing. It's not somebody who's being, who's being given a massive amount of responsibility in terms of title. Um, It's kind of a lateral move. If that makes anybody feel better about anything, I don't know. But I mean, he's still being, being given probably a, a big opportunity as we go forward. And then, uh, John, I think you were the one on CincyJungle.com who wrote the piece on, uh, oh no, it's Jason Markham. Um, they want to interview Aubrey Pleasant. Um, 
I don't know if you have any additional thoughts on that aside from Jim Turner and, and all of that, but basically it shows that Zach Taylor is leaning on his Rams connections, right? I mean, yeah. Yeah. Like the Bengals are buying into becoming the Rams essentially because if, <laughs> if, if, if Zach Taylor is because he said, because he said, because they said like, are you, are you going to bring any like, like Sean McVay's offense over here? And he's like, well, it, it works. Right. So like, that's going to be the base of, of, of what we do. I'm not going to be exactly like Sean McVay, but you know, if, if you're bringing an offense that is a, a, a version of it or an evolution of it, then I guess this is the, ver- this is the equivalent of bringing a version of a Wade Phillips type defense because he worked under Phillips as a secondary coach. And in his bio, I actually looked it up just before the show. It was like, it was similar to how um, McVay said that Taylor is, is a, a um, significant part of our third down game planning. And then like there was under Pleasant Spire said, he's a significant part of, of Wade Phillips's uh, overall game plan. So it's kind of like that, that similarity there and that, and that congruency between the two coaches. So yeah, I, I think this would be a decent hire because he has, he's a, he's also a young defensive mind and he's obviously worked under a, a great defensive mind in Wade Phillips. So if you're, if you're want to implement any team, you might as well implement the team that made it to the Super Bowl and probably should have beat a Patriots team if they had a better quarterback. Well, yeah, we've got, uh, we, we've got a lot more to get to on this show and I want to talk about that in, in just a second. Um, before we get to the Super Bowl and all that kind of stuff, we do have a a caller on the line, and it is our, uh, our one of our regulars, Terrell. Um, Terrell, this is Anthony Cazenza with the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. How are you, sir? How you doing, Anthony? How you doing, John? Pretty good. We're doing good, man. What's on your mind tonight? I uh, just really just want to say, uh, just uh, you know, we. Really excited about a uh, new professional breakfast change. He finally here. He uh, he was talking about just being razor sharp focus and making people accountable. And no matter who it is, the uh, superstars or the uh, you know, free agents. And uh, one thing I just want to say, like, just a couple internal things that's already on the thing. That's already on the thing. I believe that. Uh, Damn, um, I believe that uh, uh, William, um, William, um, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about the safety. I don't know why I'm, uh, I'm blanking about the safety. Uh, not, not Jesse Bates, but the, uh, Sean Williams. the other. Sean Williams? Yeah, Sean Williams, yeah. I believe Sean Williams was the best linebacker on the Bengals last year. Hmm. I, mean, he, I mean, we already know, we already know where, uh, Hardy Niggas is gone for You already know what Monte <laughs> is gone for I mean, I, uh, and Vinny Ray, you know, he, he's past his prime. And, um, uh, Evans, we, we give him, we, he's, he's coming along, he's coming along. But if you put at least 15 more pounds on, on, um, on, uh, on him, man, I'm trying to tell you, he's, he, he, he reminds me, he, I'm trying to tell you that he reminds me, he's a playmaker. He reminds me of a Jalen Smith. Put a little 15, 20 pounds on, I think you're going to be a linebacker. I really do believe that. And um, another thing, uh, I, I know uh, we, we always said we, we were trying to get Bob Tez or Dre some, somewhere, somehow. One of the two got to get traded. But I, I was thinking about a player that I feel like we don't really use for real 
not like how we should be. Maybe uh, Zach will uh, change that, but uh, Giovanni Bernard, I know y'all love him and everything like that, but we might can get some some type of uh, conversation for him. Uh, I, I, at least a second or third for him, man. Yeah, that could, that could really do stuff for us. Awesome. Well, thanks, Charles. We're going to answer your questions off the air. Appreciate the uh, appreciate the call as always, my friend. And uh, thanks for tuning in. And uh, we appreciate we we appreciate your your loyalty to, uh, to the program, my friend. I, I do want you to know that this this uh, this this whole uh, your whole podcast, everything's going on. Just just. And I'm telling some of my friends about you. Every, every, uh, it was a chance. I'll get a chance. I'll talk about you. But, That's awesome, man. Uh, thank you. I really appreciate it. That's awesome, man. I appreciate it. And, uh, you know, we do this. Uh, we do this for for people like yourself. So we appreciate that. And uh, we appreciate your your uh, loyalty to the program and, and uh, viewership, all that good stuff. Appreciate it, man. Uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, um, first of all, that's awesome that, I mean, <laughs> he's spreading the word about it. There's a couple of things that Terrell said that I thought was, that resonated. Actually, I spoke to my brother last night, a fellow Bengals fan. We talked about Giovanni Bernard and we, we said, you know, uh, we didn't, we didn't go the route Terrell did with him in terms of trade bait. We went the other way and saying, Zach Taylor's probably a guy that can get the most out of Gio Bernard, I think, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I, I think back to the Eagles, and I'm thinking back to Andy Reid days. I'm thinking, you know, uh, the, the Eagles have been a pillar of a team that has used running backs in a number of effective ways and have done so that have helped the team. And I think that that's probably what Taylor's going to do with with the Bengals and Gio Bernard. I think I – think Joe Mixon established himself as one of the best running backs in the NFL last year. And I think you can use Gio Bernard, maybe as a kick returner, maybe as a special teams guy, and obviously as a third down slash utility back. And I think that the Bengals need to go back to that. Yeah, do you, you mentioned the Eagles. Can you imagine using Bernard as Brian Westbrook? Yeah, Brian Westbrook or even... Uh, Darren, Darren Sproles. That's the other one. Yes, yeah. thank you. Like, there's... like. The last four or five years of Gio Bernard has been, you know, simple inside runs and then just a swing past the outside where he gets blown up in 0.2 seconds because Dalton telegraphed the throw completely ridiculously. And you have guys like Alvin Kamara running Texas and option routes out of the backfield and making linebackers look silly. And you just wonder, Gio Bernard's not that much different of an athlete than, you know, some of the other great pass catching backs in the NFL. And they, 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 they paid him like a, a, an expensive, you know, rotational back, and they should probably use him at this point. And Terrell, to your other point with Sean Williams, watching the Patriots and the Chargers in the postseason just late down the season, like those are two defenses that don't abide by the traditional rules of NFL defenses, and they use a lot of guys who you could classify as third-level defenders as, you know, box defenders and run defenders in general that can scrape over the top and just use that explosiveness and speed closer to the line of scrimmage, the better and making those impact plays. And Sean Williams, that's his strength. And that's why I think he was kept over a guy like George Iloka to play alongside Jesse Bates to play more inside the box. I don't think Sean Williams needs the ball cup to 2020 to be a, a good linebacker because a good linebacker in the NFL is not what it was 10 years ago. And you, and you can use guys all over the field and all over the box and not have to worry about them getting 
you know, clogged by second level blockers. You can use Sean Williams, how, how the Patriots use some of their safeties and how they can just, you know, disguise some of their pre-snap looks, run the fence and really take advantage and be a more effective defense. And that's something I hope we see. Yeah. You know, it's, it's interesting because, you know, Sean, if you, if you talk about Sean Williams specifically, Sean Williams was a guy that, that is not coming into the NFL draft was the guy that hasn't covered at the yeah. at the college level, you know, he was a guy that was in the box in the box safety and all that kind of stuff. And you're like, okay, well, you know, what are the Bengals going to do with uh, with this kind of guy? And he, to be quite honest with you, the guy had like five interceptions last year. So yeah. I mean, the guy, the guy has turned his career around in his supposed weak spots. The guy has turned his career around in a in a really big way, but. I agree with kind of what you're saying, John, in, in terms of today's NFL landscape, what teams need, what, you know, uh, I mean, you look at the Rams and um, Nikel Roby, right? A kind of a tweener guy. They had Mark Barron, another guy who's been a tween guy, a tweener guy. You know, maybe, maybe that's where the league is heading. Maybe that's where the Bengals are heading in terms of, you know, they need to have these guys that, have the size of a bigger safety, but can tackle and cha- and and are able to play in space like some older linebackers. And um, right. you know that might be that might be where they're heading. We'll see. But great call from Terrell. We've got another call on the line from another regular, John from Kentucky. John, how are you, sir? To talk to you guys again tonight. Yeah, good and, to have uh, you on, man. Yeah, I love your podcast, as always. You know, John Sheeran was talking a minute ago, something about China and communism. Yeah. I thought, yeah, I thought communism. Let's see. Communism started in Russia. Why did that start? Well, let's see. They had a royal family that had been in power for 300 years. Uh, let's just cut to the chase. It was time for, for them to go, okay? Now, yeah. I'm not a communist, but... The last czar they had was just making decisions on things he had no knowledge of. It was time for him to get lost. Anyway, we kind of had one in Cincinnati for 16 years, and it was just time (laughs) for the guy to go. That's kind of what I got out of that. So I am very confident in Zach Taylor, and if he doesn't do well, I agree. He won't be here 16 years. We'll move on from him and two or three years, who knows? I hope we don't end up like the Browns where we're, you know, kicking people out every other year. But at the same time, you know, the team is in nowhere near the condition it was when Dave Shula took over. We have our own stadium. We're not in trouble with the IRS. Paul Brown didn't just pass away on us. We're in pretty good shape. I think we're going to be fine. Well, that's, uh, and I got to tell you, normally from from other callers, I'd sit here and say like, uh, whatever, but you uh, have seen a lot with this franchise. You have seen, you have experienced a lot. You have, you have been through a lot with this franchise. So I would, uh, I, I take your word for it. Uh, John, before we, we get you off the air here, um, your, your take on Dre Kirkpatrick, and I don't know, I, I don't know how big of a social media guy you are, but your take on Dre Kirkpatrick sticking up for a, a guy who I know, you know, in our in our conversations, a guy I know you who has been in your personal doghouse, 
a guy who stuck up for the Bengals franchise, a guy who stuck up for Bengals fans everywhere in terms of what Jeremy Hill recent some some recent Jeremy Hill remarks. Uh, I, I would be very interested to hear what you have to say about Drake Kirkpatrick on that regard. Well, first of all, I don't follow Drake Kirkpatrick. He's not my favorite player. <laughs> I mean, so you would have to, you'll have to educate me okay. first. What did uh, he say? Okay, well, basically, uh, Jeremy Hill, as you know, is on the Patriots and was injured. Um, I guess I got to educate you, John. Um, uh, and this is a good segue to another thing we're going to be talking about anyway, so it's good. But um, basically, Jeremy Hill, member of the Patriots, did not uh, did not play a meaningful snap with, with New England on his Instagram page, basically took a shot at Bengals fans, saying, "Imagine being a Bengals fan today." Uh, while while a yeah, video of it, while he was obviously engaging in the Patriots um, uh, parade festivities and all that kind of stuff, and Drake Kirkpatrick fired back on the same social media platform, saying, "Imagine uh, something something to the effect of, I wouldn't want to win a championship trophy if I didn't play a meaningful snap.'" Yeah, exactly. And I haven't forgotten Jeremy Hill fumbling the ball <laughs> in the playoff game. Is that what it's Nobody has. Is he referring to that? Nobody has. Yeah, I mean, I, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, Burpick just intercepted the ball. There's a minute and a half left. What does Jeremy Hill do? He gives it right back to Pittsburgh. Yep. Thanks a lot, you know? Yeah. I mean, and Hugh Jackson put him in. And Hill had been prone to fumbling all year. They benched him several times for that. Why you wouldn't trust Burkhead for such little time on the clock before you would Jeremy Hill? No, right. Burkhead or, or Bernard. Or Bernard, yeah. Or Bernard, exactly. Well, yep. what just happened, the house cleaning that happened in Cincinnati should have happened after that game, and it should have happened after the Chargers game years before. Yep. So, uh, going back to the Zara Russia thing, it was just time for some people to go. Yep. <laughs> so, you are, you, know, you are... One hundred percent correct. Thanks, John. We're gonna we're gonna get you off the air here. I appreciate you calling okay. in and listening as always, my friend. Uh, John from Kentucky, great call as always. And uh, as a as a history guy, like I mentioned earlier in the show, um, you, you gotta love that. But this, we used to have a segment here, John. John from Sheeran Clan, not John from Kentucky. Um, First of his name. Yeah. Uh, we used to have, and, and I kind of want to do that this week, the hater of the week. And the hater of the week is Jeremy Hill of the Bengals. Um, and I could not believe, I mean, I kind of believe it, but at the same time, it's kind of like, dude, dude, move on. Like, <laughs> I, I, unless he's, unless he is still getting, unless there are some turd Bengal fans out there. And if you're listening to this program, yeah, I'll single you out if you're yeah. if you if you have the time to go on social media and dog Jeremy Hill for something that happened three years ago. Yes, it's a terrible, terrible, terrible moment in Bengals history. But if you have if you're sitting here using your free time to go dog a professional athlete about a screw up he did, then shame on you. I mean, right? But at the same time, shame on Jeremy Hill for <laughs> using a big platform that he has and instead of saying like hey it, he doesn't even need to mention the bangles he doesn't even need to talk about them and he's he basically gives them the middle finger and the fans the middle finger publicly on one of the biggest social media platforms there is yeah the, this finger hit for him wasn't wasn't busy enough he had to utilize this one too exactly it's just like i like i don't know if you follow kevin durant 
in, in the NBA and, and the things that he does. But every time I, I follow, not not Kev Durant. Or, uh... <laughs> but like every time I see Durant tweet, I'm just like, "What are you doing?" And this is like, 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 like you, you like this, this is this is this is preposterous. And what what you the 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 potential situation that that, that you describe is basically the only logical and reasonable explanation for why he would do this. He's he's looking at the 5% of Bengals fans who still taunt him about the fumble, who still have, drunk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, like, he's, he's using that, those 5% of fans and generalizing the entire fan base of doing so and basically trying to dunk on all of us who, for the most part, haven't thought of Jeremy Hill si- since he left for the Patriots because I, there, there's never been a, a less relevant Super Bowl winner than Jeremy Hill. He played four snaps during the regular season. He hasn't played since September. And like, and he's he's not even the best former Bengal on that roster. Rex Burke has been a valuable contributor for the past few years for the Patriots. And that's I think that's also why Drake Patrick said congratulations, Rex Burke, on your Super Bowl championship. But honestly, just like like this could not have possibly netted a positive outcome for anybody involved because it just triggered every Bengals fan who again did not think of Jeremy Hill at all during during the Super Bowl or during this season in general and just triggered them into adding him and just egging him on and creating even more of a stirrup and more of a fire and just making the situation worse for them and just feeding Jeremy Hill exactly what he wanted and that was you know obviously triggered Bengals fans who are reminded of the very thing that Jeremy Hill did that was just why people hate him and why why some Bengals fans despise him but not to the point where they were for the most part again for the most part Bengals fans did not engage Jeremy Hill that much on social media about what he did. They, they moved on from that point because it was just the time for him to move, up, move on. The, the expiration of his rookie contract, he just had had no value here anymore. Go make yourself with a good team in the Patriots. Like, there's no need to dance on a grave that was not stirring up anything in the first place other than just a handful of people on the side. If you're going to look at those few Bengals fans who enter your mentions about, you know, you know the the unfortunate act that you did as a, as a, as a, as a Bengals fan, as a member of the Bengals team back in 2015, that's fine. But don't lump every single one of us in, into the same yeah. thing and just and cause yourself to be dunked on by everybody who ha- did not think twice about you. I, there, there are a couple things here that I, that made me – first of all, like you said, I kind of was like, oh, that's right. He's on the Patriots. I mean, I, got, I, honestly, I, was, I honestly forgot. I was like, oh. <laughs> there is a part of me that says, okay, why is New England so great at taking – Trash heap guys. And now, grant now, granted, Jeremy Hill didn't do much for this year's championship run, but there's Rex Burkhead, there's Devlin, the fullback, there is, uh, you know, they they grabbed Chad Johnson at one point, they had Corey Dillon at one point, they had Delph O'Neill after Delph O'Neill was was on the Bengals, they had Artrell Hawkins after that he was on the bank. They grabbed these guys that. You know, have contributed elsewhere. They get them cheaper, and they say, "Come in." And, and part of me is like, "Why does that team know how to do that, and nobody else knows how to do that?" Right? I mean, it, I think I think the spotlight is brighter because they're just constantly in the championship game. But at the same time, it's also they're in the championship game for practices like that, right? Right. I think it's uh, uh, Sam Monson, who is one of the like main guys for PFF. I think he he said something tremendous about. Um, yeah, here we go. Uh, Bel- Bill Belichick's readiness versus every other coach is a fundamental approach thing. Most coaches have a system with various gra- 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 with various gradations of, of how successful that system is. Where they struggle is, is when the system gets stymied. Belichick has game plans. They're dynamic. And I think that's the main fundamental difference between Belichick and 
the 31 other head coaches that like people implement systems. And when the system needs to change, you know, it's, it's hard to change something. So They're rigid. Yeah, exactly. It, it's, it's not fluid. It's not liquid. Game, Belichick and the reason why the Patriots have always been so good at countering every single team and every, and eliminating everybody's, you know, strength is because they're so fluid and they can implement guys who kind of buy in to, to the fluid game plan. And they always will be able to identify which player strengths that they have and put them in the best possible situation. They will never run the same offense every like two weeks. And whenever you try to do something that's successful against them, they'll find a way to adapt because they don't have anything that they're committed to. So when, so when they bring in these mid-level guys, these cheap guys, then they, and somehow they ended up being a lot better than what they're paid to do is because they find and identify the, the, the strengths that they have and they just work around that. And whatever they do on offense or defense is completely predicated upon the 11 guys who are on the field at, at that certain point in time. They can run a spread offense that they can go two by two in the shotgun. They can have Brady spread the ball around, or they can go in 21 person personnel against like they did against the Rams and just run it down your throat. It's all dependent upon who is available to them at the time because they can utilize anybody that they, that they want to because they're not tied down to anything. They're they so, so adaptive and able capable of evolving because they have a head coach that recognizes that things are so fast-paced and moving in the NFL and you need to have that mindset to essentially utilize what you have. And that's, I think, exactly why they can take the Jeremy Hills and the Rex Burkheads and you know whoever else they can grab off from the Browns roster, I guess, and just make them into quality players. Yeah, and I mean this. This feeds into a couple of listener questions we'll get to before we get um, before we get out of here. We we we're going long, but we started late, so um, you know we're, we've got a couple of questions we want to get to aside from the calls we got. But um, it, it's it, the Patriots are the NFL chameleons, right? I mean, there are yes. so many fads. There are so many fads. You know, everybody's oh, you know, multiple tight ends, multiple wide receivers, and you know the 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 safety cornerback non linebacker defense and all that kind of stuff. You know what? The Chiefs ran that stuff. The Rams ran that stuff. They put that stuff out there. They got a lot of attention for it, and rightfully so. But guess who won the Super Bowl? People that Bill Belichick and Tom Brady, Tom Brady, guys who were able to figure out stuff with the people they had in the building and plans that with the people they had in the building to say, okay, run who you want out. We will do what we need to do and we'll beat you. Um, and that brings me kind of to, it's not necessarily a direct question that we received this week, but this is a question that I've seen a lot in Bengals forums on Twitter, on all kinds of stuff, John. I mean, uh, with, with with what Zach Taylor is bringing to the Bengals, does the Super Bowl loss and the performance of Goff, does that taint your view, or should it taint your view, of Taylor coming to Cincinnati and what he is potentially capable of doing with the Bengals? It should taint your view of Andy Dalton under Zach Taylor because by all intents and purposes, Jared Goff is a more talented version of Andy Dalton but they both have similar weaknesses where if you pressure them and if you force them to look beyond the certain amount of time where the ball needs to get out, they can get flustered and they can make bad decisions under pressure. And that's exactly what happened with the Patriots and you know how they did like the, like the pass rush wasn't tremendous for the Patriots against the Rams, but their coverage was outstanding and they were able to confuse golf. And there's only so much that a quarterback coach can do, especially when he's not the one talking into golf's, um, 
uh, helmet Mike uh, up until 15 seconds since the clock. That's that's McVay's responsibility. And that's what he's always done. And that's I thought that's been an advantage against teams that aren't the Patriots, who aren't so adaptive on the fly and who don't identify, you know, a quarterback like Goff's weaknesses. But you know, people are, are talking about you know, can Zach Taylor elevate Andy Dalton? Well, Andy Dalton's 32 years old. He's basically going. He is what he is at this point, and he can get the maximum of what he is at this point, but he can't probably get him to go any further. And for people who think that, you know, if Jared, if Jared Goff can't, you know, score more than three points against the Patriots with that offense and that offensive line and those weapons around him, it's hard for me to believe that Andy Dalton could do such a thing because that's the goal, right? It, it is to beat the Patriots until the Patriots aren't the dominant team anymore. And with a quarterback like Andy Dalton, I don't think that's, a likely scenario, even with a guy like Zach Taylor. And if he's bringing that same system with the Rams, like we just saw it, it it's not a, it's not a perfect system because it's not the Patriots. And unless you have a quarterback like Mahomes or like a Drew Brees or someone who can elevate, you know, your surrounding talent, it's just really hard to do that because you have to, you have to out Patriots the Patriots. And the only way that we've seen done that is if the quarterback just goes, you know, balls to the wall. If you have an Eli Manning or Nick Foles, who can somehow out of the blue, you know, perform out of their minds. You know, if you have a quarterback like Andy Dalton, who's the worst playoff quarterback of all time, it's hard for me to see that happening. Even with a coach who will presumably bring in some offensive innovations that that helped the Rams get to that position. Right. Um, yeah. Very well said. And I, my my, my takeaway from this is is that Tom Brady and Bill Belichick are the whatever you, you know, if you hate them or whatever, the, the, the stats show the amount of rings show that they are the greatest dynasty or coach quarterback tandem ever. Yeah. Ever. Um, now how much longer they'll be, they'll be doing it is up for debate. Um, my guess is probably within five years, I would say that one, if not both of those gentlemen will probably hang it up. Um, my, my, my point is, is I look at it and I say, you know, I don't think this knocks Taylor. I don't think this knocks his prowess as a coach. I don't think any of that. My thing is, I don't, I, I just don't think there's someone, there is a, a, a couple in terms of a head coach quarterback out there or has, that has yet to be linked up that can beat them. I mean, it's just – that is the NFL landscape at this point. I mean, I I, I don't – they're not winning it every year. But, I mean, uh, what is it, nine Super Bowls, six wins, something something to that effect? I mean, it's uh, it's absurd. It is absurd what those those two have done, especially with sometimes the personnel that they have brought into the Super Bowl – I, I mean, the fact of the matter is that it's going to take them retiring or some tandem better than them to be able to consistently compete in the AFC and co- consistently compete in, in the Super Bowl. And that is they've captured lightning in a bottle and good for them. Wonderful for the Patriots. But it, it, it's kind of an unfortunate reality, and it's not a slight against Zach Taylor. It's an unfortunate reality that – Teams just aren't uh, – they don't have that there. They don't have that relationship, quarterback-coach relationship that has 
been able to net these amount of Super Bowls. They don't have that in their back pocket. No, and and you know Belichick is the mastermind behind the whole thing. He's the greatest head coach of all time. There's no question about it. But the uh, like we just talked about, you know, he doesn't. Patriots don't have a system like other teams have a system, but they do have a a network of of, of coaches and players that also bring that also form the whole thing together. Like Brady and McDaniel's basically handled the offense and are able to to change on a moment's notice. Dante Scarnesia, who's the offensive line coach, might be the greatest offensive line coach of all time. You wonder why Brady doesn't get doesn't ever get hit and why the Rams pass rush was nullified for most of the second half. It's because that they handle stunts and packages and can run any scheme uh, and run blocking because they're just so well coached with that. And then the like obviously Belichick handles the defense and and you know his defensive coordinators always seem to get promotions and whatnot. So there is a system and a level of cohesion and communication and connections without throughout the entire staff because they're minded by you know one you know spearhead in Belichick. And I think with with what Taylor was talking about in the introductory conference, it was clear communication, clear connections, clear cohesion throughout the entire staff all be on the same page. That's kind of what, you know, a, a, a bridge version of what the Patriots have in that. And I think that's very important for what Zach Taylor needs to build. He needs, you know, his, his offense needs to be on the same page and have a defense that is able to, you know, go, w- go with those similar philosophies and kind of all be on one cohesive page. And that's a part of it. But again, it's, Obviously, Brady is Brady. You know, he's not the greatest thrower of the football of all time, but he, the way he reads the field and the way he communicates with with, with McDaniel's and the system that they've obviously instituted is second to none. And how they can, consi- can consistently maintain drives and it's it's just part of the process, I guess. And that's 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 the process that Taylor needs to try to emulate to the best of his ability and just bring in you know guys, players, coaches that will best work under the type of system that he wants to implement. Yeah, I, I can't. I can't think of another team who has done a better job of adapting to what their opponents do than the New England Patriots. Now, now the Patriots don't have the best roster. I don't think in the league. No, they they probably have the best coach and the best quarterback in the league. But what they do is they just adapt, adapt, adapt. I mean, if you, th- I, I saw. Briefly before we came on to the program tonight, um, I saw something that NFL Network was coming on. It was the old, God, I don't know, 2001 or I don't know when it was. It was the um, the Super Bowl where they played the Patriot, uh, the Panthers. And uh, it was with Jake DeLome, Steve Smith, Julius Peppers. I mean, there, there are a lot of guys on that team where you go, wow. And that team, the the the. the the Panthers team was very well-rounded, regardless of your thoughts of Jake DeLome. Um, very well-rounded. And it was a team that could put up points. It was a, key, a team that could do a lot of – they had Dan Morgan at linebacker, a good linebacker. I mean, they could do a lot of things well. Yeah. What did the Patriots do? They ended up just kind of basically outscoring them that game. And mm-hmm. it was a game that was like not really – Tom Brady threw a red zone interception. I mean, it, it was a game that was not pretty – but somehow they just keep doing it. And, I, you know, for, for those folks, those Bengals fans who are sitting here going, oh, this is a slight against Zach Taylor that, you know, his quarterback didn't play well. You know what? Yeah. But at the same time, it's kind of like, well, it's the Patriots. And we all got to deal with it until those guys are done. I mean, yeah. I, I, it's just kind of a reality of the league at this point. So um, that's, that's – uh, 
I mean, I, I wish I had a better answer for it, but that's that's kind of where we're at. We're going to do one more question before we get out of here. We've got a number of texts. We've got a number of questions in the YouTube chat. We appreciate it. This was an email question, um, and I wanted to get this uh, from Mohammed Alomer um, uh, saying, Greetings. I, I want to thank you guys for your show. I've been watching you for almost two years. I guess I'm your only fan from Saudi Arabia slash Scotland. Um, wow. Well, that's cool. Um, my first question is, we keep saying that we have so much talent on defense and so much of that talent got wasted. Do you agree that a priority high-level defensive coordinator is as important as a head coach? Um, and then do you think we need two new starters at linebacker this year? Uh, thanks for your email, Muhammad. I'm going to say this, and I'll let you, uh, my, my esteemed co-host here, John, is more of the film guru and a little bit more of, uh, he, he dives more in depth on that front than I do in terms of the position group. Um, I'm going to say this and kind of just basically what we talked about. Look, man, this is a quarterback head coach league. And you can sit here and say, hey, you know, the Rams did well because they had Wade Phillips as their defensive coordinator and established coach in this league. It's a league that is built on you got to get your quarterback and you got to get a head coach that your players gravitate to. That's what it is. And I would not be surprised if the Rams are consistently in the playoff picture over the next handful of years. And uh, I think the Bengals, to their credit, recognize the fact that this is a, a, a team that needed a change at head coach. I don't know if that means a change at quarterback. It could be coming, but that's what this league is. And um, I think the Bengals probably need an absolute overhaul at linebacker, especially with Marvin Lewis gone, a linebacker guru. But I'll let you talk about both those questions, John. Yeah. Um, you look at McVay and his early success, and you know he's obviously leaned a lot because he, he runs the offense and he, he puts – the entire defense in Wade Phillips' hand. Wade Phillips is one of the very best defensive coordinators of of the you know this generation. And you know, it, like like to, to Anthony's point, the the top four scoring offenses in the NFL ended up going to the AFC and NFC championship games. Scoring matters, and that's the only thing that matters. But also, if you don't have one of those top tier offenses, you're going to need your defense to play probably a little better than what the Bengals defense put out in 2018. So yeah, um, having that defense coordinator that a young head coach can young offensive head coach can lean on is to is crucial in its own right. And getting that hired will matter to maximize, you know, some of these young guys who are going to try to, you know, take, take over for eventually when Geno Atkins and Carlson that, you know, leave the team for, for their respective reasons. So yeah, getting, getting the, the, the defensive coordinator hire is important, especially when you can't, put up 30 points a game. And I don't think the Bengals offense will be able to do that in 2019 unless some major changes happen. And with the linebacker group, yeah, if one of those starters that we're talking about is Vontaze Perfect, means obviously did not start and probably not be on the team. Nick Vigil is a, a different story, I think, because I think there is still something there. It's not something great, maybe not even something good, but something that you can at least, you know, try it out there and count on for a couple hundred snaps. You know, he wasn't completely healthy this year. And I think if he was, he would have had a little bit more to offer. But yeah, like Anthony said, a major a major overhaul at that position needs to happen specifically with the depth that they have there. Vincent Bray probably needs to go. Hardy Nickerson definitely needs definitely definitely needs to go. Blake Jefferson needs to be given a chance to play significant snaps. They need at least another draft pick in a in a quality free agent signing there to kind of get 
that position level to some form of competency because it was just amongst the very worst in the NFL. And when you have a defensive line that like the Bengals last year couldn't consistently create pressure, and then you have a scheme that opens the middle of the field so much like the Bengals defense does, then you're going to ha- you're going to be reliant on those linebackers and coverage to make open field tackles. And that was the two areas that the Bengals were just crap at. And, and unless they can just, you know, the, 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 whoever leads that defense and as a coordinator will probably implement a more linebacker friendly scheme and, and coverage and whatnot, but they definitely need just some more talent because there's just nothing resembling that there right now. Yeah. And uh, you know, that goes back to, I think it was, uh, I think it was Terrell's call on our show talking about Sean Williams and, you know, is he almost a linebacker type of type of guy, you know, you got to have those capable guys in space. Um, It it is what it is, but uh, yeah, the Bengals need an overhaul at that, at that position. I mean, but I I still go back to, I, I waver on, you know, an elite defensive coordinator or, um, you know, I mean, I don't know if a lot of people would sit here and say Gary Kubiak is a is an elite coach, but he won a Super Bowl with, um, you know, uh, no, with, I wouldn't say that. Yeah, I mean, he, he's he won a Super Bowl with some revolving parts at defensive coordinator, and you know, you've seen what you saw this year. I, with the two teams in the Super Bowl, I don't, I don't, you know, Wade Phillips has been a head coach in this league and has been to at mixed results as a head coach at best. Um, so to me, it's get your head coach and get your quarterback. That's what it's all, always about. All you, can get, you can, you can get your, your great supporting staff like McVay did in a Wade Phillips and all that stuff. But, and that's probably something that, that Zach Taylor is going to em, try and emulate, but, at the same time, it's kind of like I, I don't know, man. Like if, if if you're the guy and you got a quarter, you've got your quarterback, then I, you're set. You're set. I mean, that's that, that's what this Go league is built on, and that is that is what this Super Bowl taught us. I think is coach, quarterback, you're gonna win. I mean, that's uh, that's what it is. And uh, you know, unfortunately, some of us who are not Patriots fans or followers of the Patriots probably have to wait until certain people retire for that torch to be passed, but that that is what it is. Uh, this is the Orange Black Games Better Bengals. What's that? Andy Dalton's not that quarterback. Go on. He's not. The, he's not that quarterback. He is not. No. Unfortunately, I wish. I, I I wish I could say he he was, but he is not that quarterback. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sharon. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on Stitcher, on Google Play, on iTunes, on YouTube, and cincyjungle.com, as well as Megaphone. Um, we appreciate all of the support that you have shown this show, especially as of recently. And uh, hopefully you enjoyed our recent interview with Tyler Boyd. Check that out if you have not done so already. We are going to get out of here, though, because we've gone uh, a little long this week and we started late. But uh, I'm going to kick it over to my my co-host if he has any final thoughts for this week. Uh, yeah, Aubrey Pleasant is better than Don Capers. So I hope that, hope that comes <laughs> um, I'll 
I'm I'm very interested to see who becomes the defensive line and linebackers coach. I imagine there's probably some Zach Taylor connections that I need to connect the dots with, but you know, hopefully that happens before we come back here next Wednesday and we can get this full coaching staff on the wraps. Yeah. And it seems uh, I, I did put this on the bank, the uh, orange and black insider podcast feed, but it seems as if Ben Martin is going to be the team's uh, some sort of assistant coach. This is an offensive line. Well, yeah. And James Casey um, will probably be coaching the tight ends group. Um, ironically, for those who remember, James Casey was actually brought in for a visit uh, a handful of years ago by the Bengals. Um, and he torched them in the playoffs when he was with the Texans. Yeah, he's kind no, of a well, guy. Different. Yeah, he, he didn't torch him. His own Daniels did that, but I think he he played for the Texans during then. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Yeah. And he he's kind of an H back guy, different guy, but um, mm-hmm. you know, hey. Whatever. I mean, I, I was a fan of uh, the Hayes brothers. I thought they did some good work with the Bengals, but time to move in a new direction. And I think that uh, that Casey could could provide a, a good spark there. So that, that's just a little bit of an update there. But, um, yeah, more things to come. Uh, the combine is just around the corner for the, for the Cincinnati Bengals and every team in the NFL. I don't know if my colleague – John Sharon will be going to that event or not, like he did with the Senior Bowl, but uh, he's not. No. Okay. No. Okay. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, we'll try and get uh, maybe some people from from Indianapolis on the program and whatnot. But uh, at, at any rate, thanks for tuning in. Thanks for downloading the program, and uh, we'll try and uh, get some. Get some interviews and all kinds of different stuff coming up here on the on the program for you. But uh, we appreciate you tuning in. We appreciate all the support, like I said. And, uh, hey, new new era in Cincinnati officially coming in with Zach Taylor and his regime. Some hires will probably be liked. Some will not. We'll see. I'm Anthony Cazenza. He's John Sheeran. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast, and we'll see you next time.